0: Well, if you are visiting today, I do want to tell you that uh, you may feel like this guy, but uh, what are we talking about? You look at your bulletin, and even for us Tower View folks, we do this every year. We've done it for a number of years now where we call this the State of Tower View Baptist Church. This is not a State of the Union address as much as it is a time for us to reflect on the blessings of God from the last year and goals that we set for last year, updates on those, as well as applying a sermon on a topic that we want to approach in the coming year. And how we do that in 35 to 40 minutes is all by grace, amen? But we will get there. And I want to let you know, uh, especially if you're visiting a regular member of Tinder, that the next several weeks after this, we're going to be in our holiday season. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament and the prophecies about the Messiah and who he was to be. Hope you'll be here for that. And then over Christmas and New Year's, we'll have some one-off sermons. Our goal is to finish the book of Revelation by the end of April next year. So if you've been holding for that, it's coming. And just hang on. We'll pretty much be in Revelation mode from January, uh, I think it's like January 6th, that first Sunday, January 7th, all the way through Easter-ish. We'll take a couple weeks break, and then we'll finish up through the rest of April. So if you're wondering what's coming... There's your picture of the next five months. You can plan to be here every Sunday uh, uh, for that if you choose to be. But this morning, I invite your attention to Mark chapter 1. If you were in Sunday school small groups in the 9 o'clock hour, you said, Darren, we did this over Labor Day weekend. Yes, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 <coughs> Excuse me, this morning. And what I want to talk to you today about is a topic we don't often talk about. It's the topic of discipleship, about being a follower Not just a follower, but a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at two passages this morning. And if you see your bulletin there, you'll notice there are a lot of blanks to fill. We will do our due diligence to fill those blanks. Some of you, you cannot be holy unless every blank is filled. Amen? And so act like you're taking notes and be all holy. No, I'm just kidding. But you fill them in as we go. Mark chapter 1. But before we get there, I want to share the story about this gentleman. His name is Matt Emmons. Back in 2004, I was in Guadalajara, Mexico, and I remember hearing about this story as we were watching the Olympics in Spanish, of which I hardly spoke at that time, and I remember hearing about this man. He was a, a double gold opportunity for America, a professional shooter. He had won every national and world title for years gone by. Entering the last round, all he had to do was hit the target. That's all he had to do. It could be the outside. It could be the inner ring. It could be a bullseye. It did not matter. That's all he had to do. He lines up and he shoots. Bullseye. And he sees the screen above him. It says, eighth place, Matt Emmons. He shot the wrong target. Some of y'all may remember this. He did this actually at a couple other Olympics following this. And he was so devastated. How could he point at one target but be so off that he bullseyed? And funny enough, it was the Chinese target of the guy who actually won the competition later on. It's a terrible story. I feel so bad for him. But I think the point of all this is, is even in our churches today, we can be so on target with many things, can't we? We can be so on target with all the things that we have to do as a church, but sometimes we miss the target even though we're on target. The hard truth hit him. He was dead center but wrong, and sometimes we are dead center but wrong. We do a lot of good things as churches, but the one thing we seemingly miss the target on is making disciples, and we're going to unpack that today. If you're able to stand this morning, would you stand with us in honor of God's Word? We're going to read Mark 1, 16 through 20. I want to tell you today, this is more principle-based than it is uh, anything else-based, but I want you to know today that our church has done a great job of making disciples, but as we've reflected on this next year and beyond, I think we can be much more intentional about it, and that impacts everyone in this room, visitor, member, attender, because it is what God, through Christ, has told us to do. Matthew or Mark 1, 16 through 20, you know these words well. And mark records. He says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they followed him and left their nets. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. If you are a Christian here today, your call is to make disciples and to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We're going to unpack that today. I am pointing all fingers back at myself because I apologize to you as your pastor. We have not done a more intentional effort to do what we're about to talk about today. We have, but we haven't, and we'll unpack that as we go. But may we be not like this guy, bless his soul, We hit the right target with the right trajectory, with the right momentum that God tells us. That's what we're here to do. Will you pray with me this morning? Let's go before the Lord. Father, as we talk about your word this morning, we pray that whatever we do and say would be honorable to you. We thank you for the the long study we've had in Revelation up to the last couple weeks. Thank you for our brother last week who challenged us uh, offline because of the security issues about the work being done in a part of the world that is so dangerous for him and his family. Father, we're in a season where things are different. But the same call is called to us, no matter what time or season or age or health or strength we have, to make disciples at home, in the church, in the world. Father, help us to unpack that today. May it encourage, may it edify, may it exhort, all by your grace, through your spirit. We ask this today in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, I do want to just say that our big idea is very clear. And I know this sounds like a bold, big idea, and I think in a sense it is, but I think in a sense it's not. I believe that the more we are committed to biblical discipleship, the more we will usher in a new reformation within our churches today, especially here at Tower View. You can talk all day about the things that are going on, but any man, woman of any background, any circumstance can invest in someone else with what they have been taught in the scriptures and have them carry that on to somebody else. But often, that's not what happens. Before we can make disciples, we have to define what discipleship is. Many of you all remember, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, many of you all remember that in, in the old Baptist circles, there was a discipleship hour, discipleship training. And for an hour each week, we'd spend time going over different things with people and, and call it good. But I think it's more than that. And I think the Bible is going to show that it's more than that. We need a disciple-making process. But we need to define our terms. Because building a house without a proper blueprint is not effective, so defining discipleship without a proper blueprint is not effective either. So I want to define what discipleship is, and this definition is very intentional. Disciple making. First, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Christ, not just listens, but follows with all of their lives. If you're a Christian, you should be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just a hearer, but a doer, a living out of everything you've heard. But discipleship is making intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships. This is wordy, I know, empowered by the spirit to replicate faithful followers of Christ. Say that five times fast. Let's break it down. Sometimes when we do disciple making, it's not intentional because you know what people do when they don't know what to do? They don't do anything. And a lot of times we say, go be a disciple, go do this, go do that, go love God, go share your faith, but we don't equip you how to do that. in church, I apologize on behalf of myself. We've often said those words, we haven't equipped you with those words. Disciple making is an intentional investment in the growth of others. It's also an accountable relationships. Disciple making, according to the scriptures, is something that we have transparency and responsibility and we hold each other accountable. If you were left on your own to exercise for the rest of the year without anyone encouraging you on, how good would you be to fulfill that commitment? And all God's people said, uh-uh. you need accountability. How much more so for spiritual things? You also need to be empowered by the Spirit. Nothing we can learn or do is is, is fruitful unless God gives it to us by His Spirit. We need His Spirit, don't we? And we're Baptists, and we need his spirit even more so. Amen. We need that. But we also, a disciple is someone who makes other disciples. We replicate it. We reproduce it. The ultimate goal is not just individual growth, but it's taking what we know and pouring it into others so they can pour it into others. Where do I get that from? I get that from Jesus himself. This isn't anything new. In fact, we know that from the very get-go, Jesus was all about making disciples. How many did he have in his inner circle? He had 11, 12 if you count Judas. But for the most part, these disciples were the people he invested in for three years. And church, I want to break these things down and look at some passages. We'll be in Matthew 28 in a few minutes. It'll be short. It'll be sweet in the way we go through them. But I want you to know the bottom line is this we as a church and every church will see God usher in a spiritual growth mega field the more we are committed to these principles. For those of you who've been around churches, this is nothing new. Robert Coleman's master plan of evangelism, uh, you name it. This is something that's there. It's been around. Churches love evangelism. I love evangelism, but we often don't talk about discipleship. And that's what a goal we want to have for 2024. A couple of notes here from Mark chapter one, I want you to see. First, I want you to see, and one of the first things he does is that every Christian, is that every Christian can make disciples. Every Christian can make disciples. And we see this first off in the casting of the nets. Did you notice that in verse 16, the casting of the nets? It says, "As they were casting a net into the sea, they were fishermen. And I think what Jesus is going to do here, a couple insights, is he's going to talk about the casting of the nets, and he's going to talk about the restoration or the mending of the nets. What you see here is the, the throwing out of the nets. And what they would do is they'd take these nets, very much bill, like our, our baptismal robes on. We had weights in our baptismal robes. We were laughing about that behind the scenes. And they would throw those weights out, and that net would go down to the bottom. And what would it do? It would would sink, and they would jump in, and they would try to pull back as many as they could to fish. But you know it's not called fishing for anything. It's not a guarantee, is it? When you throw out your lure with your reel or you throw in a net, there's no guarantee that you will get anything of any worth. But Jesus shows us here through these simple disciples that casting is always a good thing evangelism is essential. We are called to cast the net of the evangelism everywhere. To make disciples, we have to tell the good news. What is the good news? That you are dead in your sin and Christ died for you. And so we can't always predict the outcome, but casting is our responsibility. Look, if we seek to build a church, if we seek to build a church any other way than Christ said, we will rarely produce disciples. But if we seek to make disciples, we will always get the church. want you to think about that for a second. If you seek to build a church, you rarely will produce disciples. If you build people on what they want in their flesh, what you win them to is what you keep them to, is what we say in the ministry. If you win them with crazy, uh, in youth group terms, motorbikes that go like this and fog machines and all these things, guess what you have to keep up week after week after week after week? All that stuff. It is becoming Christmas time and Easter time in churches. And you know what a lot of churches will do? They'll start to raffle off guns. If you come to church, you'll get a a ticket in the raffle for a gun or a present or a gift card. What you win them to is what you keep them to. If we want to build the church, we need to make disciples. We need to make people who are not only are saved by evangelism, but are also discipled in that process, grown up in the Lord and making disciples other disciples that's one wing of it the second thing you see here in mark chapter one is that they were repairing their nets did you notice that down in verse uh, 19 and the sons of zebedees were also in their boats mending the nets look casting out at the right time and getting all that was important but the second insight here is that the casting is just as important as the repairing if they did not maintain their nets it didn't matter how many fish they tried to get what would happen to the net it'd break apart do you know that same word mending there or repairing in verse 19 is the same word used in 2 Timothy 3.16? You all know that scripture. where All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, and training, equipping in righteousness. It's also the same word used in Ephesians 4, that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My point is this is that the ongoing process of disciple-making requires evangelism, but it also requires the mending of the nets, the the growing of people, the repairing, the qualifying for people to go out with the knowledge they have. It's like those two oars I've talked about before. If you row a boat with one oar, what's going to happen to you? Go try it today on the Missouri River and see what happens. But if you have two oars, evangelism, casting, mending, repairing, discipleship, you will be going the right direction God intended for you. Look, healthy churches are built on the backs of healthy disciples. Healthy churches are built on the backs of healthy disciples. So many pastors, even in our own association, have fallen by the wayside in recent years. Scandal here, scandal there. Crazy thing here. Jesus never promised an easy life, but for some of those pastors, their giftedness got ahead of their godliness. And what happens is when we fail to see that we need to both share the faith and both grow in the faith, we hopefully will be leveled out to know that the way to make disciples is the way forward that Jesus tells us. And he gives us three insights to that in this scripture, three ways that we make disciples. Every Christian can do that. It's a threefold process. First there, in verse 17, he says, Follow me. He says, follow me. And this was uncharacteristic because Jewish rabbis of those days did not invite people to follow them. People asked the rabbi to follow them. Do you see that difference? Rabbis did not go out and say, who wants to be my disciple today? And raise your hand. No, they would go the opposite way. But Jesus uncharacteristically calls them. A healthy disciple follows Christ. A healthy disciple aligns themselves with Christ. Christ. A healthy disciple will always be following what Jesus says. And Amy, if you want to put that next little blurb up there, that would be great. A Christian, a disciple is always living in step with Jesus' teachings. Always trying to do that. It is a personal call to follow Christ. Follow me. Follow me. Have you been called out by Jesus Christ? Has Christ called your name? Has he called your name to be saved? Then your never-ending journey is to make more people to grow up in him. Your never-ending journey, parents, and this is hard, and we struggle with this at times in our home, is making disciples of Jesus Christ at home. If you're older and you have grandkids, your job, by God's grace, is to make disciples of those grandkids. Husband to wife, even wife to husband, is to make disciples out of each other. All by grace, and as a church, we have that call. He says, follow me, and this is not some easy-peasy call. This is giving up everything to follow him. Have you counted that cost? But that's the first step to make a threefold process of following Christ. The second is you're formed by Christ. Did you notice how he said there in verse 17? He called them out personally. He said, follow me, but notice who's making them. He says, I will make you become. I will make you become. The promise of becoming fishermen is in the future tense here. It's a call that only Christ can heed. And, you know, sometimes, even in this church, we can be so in love with the things of the church, we fall out of love with the God of the church. Or to put it another way, it's very easy to do ministry for Jesus without being intimately formed by Jesus. Christian today... There's a lot of busyness that happens in our churches, even our church here. There's a lot of busyness. But notice Jesus does not say, come to me and do all these programs and do all these things and, 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 and I will make you become someone you're not. He says, I will make you become. Not just head knowledge, not just knowledge here, but as you follow me, I will make you more like me. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that God has not given up on you? and he has not thrown the towel in on you when he should have, by God's grace, if you are a disciple who's making disciples and a church that's making disciples, we need to remember that just being a warm body in church isn't the same as being close to him. James 2.19 says, Even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. How easy it is to have all the knowledge and call yourself a disciple, but never have any hard action behind just loving the one who's there. Be careful. He says, I will form you. When the spirit is there, when the word is preached, when the heart is ready, God will grow you. So not only do you follow Christ, you're formed by Christ, but finally this last episode here is is you are focused on others. You're focused on others. But Amy, if you want to put up that little slide. uh, Some of you all know this picture. Sorry for the 80s movie references. I was still a baby in this generation, but I still adopted some of them. This is Mr. Miyagi and Danielson. And you know that Mr. Miyagi, if you know the story of the Karate Kid, one of the great things that he had always in front of him was a bonsai tree. And those bonsai trees, you can order them on Amazon if you want it here in 48 hours of prime, if you have that sort of thing. Bonsai trees are cute, they're cuddly, they look like they're very sustainable to grow but I had to look this up, but the bonsai trees are actually the same genetic makeup, if you will, or same composition as big trees, but their body is restricted or constricted in such a way they can never grow to be the big trees like the maples and the oaks and all those things. They're ready to burst out, but they just can't do it yet. And that's how a lot of Christians are. We try and get formed by all the things in, this, in, in our churches and all the things in our lives and we're so busy with things that are religious but we're not busy with the one who's the God of the religion that we hope to bear. And like these bonsai trees, our roots can't go very deep. But friends, when we are formed by Jesus Christ, we blossom like the oaks and we blossom like the maples because he calls us deeper and deeper into himself in making disciples. But number three, we are focused on others. He not only calls us to follow him, to become like him, but what's he want us to be? Look at the universe 17. What's he call us to be? He calls us to be fishers of men. Or as our old uh, old friend of mine, Dr. Johnston at Midwestern would say, to become uh, uh, partakers of men, capturing men alive. Look, Jesus never promised worldly success, but he promised a focus on others. Jesus never said it would be easy, but he said, if you follow me, you will become a fisher of men. You will become someone who not only evangelizes, but grows people in Christ. But that discipleship process is not complete until a mentee becomes a mentor. If you have known someone here, and feel free to raise your hands with this. Nelson and I have talked about the stats behind the scenes, but how many of y'all have ever had someone or a group of people Teach you how not only to know Christ in your head, but to live it out in front of others. And be, be honest, it's about a 33%. That's about generally right. Most people as Christians, you know what we usually tell them? Oh, you're a Christian. Great. Go have fun. Can you imagine a new, a new uh, parents taking their newborn into the nursery and saying, Oh, we're going to go to worship for an hour. Here's a bottle feed yourself. And all the moms are looking at me with that look. I know. It's crazy. But what you need to know is that we are focused on other people. We are fishers of men. We don't just leave people as they are. We grow them in a process. And that's what the next little subpoint is. The discipleship process is not complete until a mentee becomes a mentor if you have been discipled by someone else and they've poured into you with the gospel of Christ and the things of Christ and how to live for Christ, you are to carry that on to others in Christ. Have you done that? Have you sought to do that? Do you desire to do that? It's a call of Christ on our lives. is to follow, be formed, and to focus on others. To follow, be formed, and to focus on others. I'm going to throw you a really big wrench to those of you who are very faithful to us. We're going to go to another scripture. Would you hold your spot there but go to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28. This is more turning, I think, than we've done in a long time. And all God's people said, amen. Turn your tablet, turn your thing. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Our first point is that every Christian can make disciples. But our second point is going to be that every Christian is called to disciple. Every Christian is called to disciple, I believe, is number two listed on your your thing there. And what I want you to see today is exactly what the Great Commission is, exactly what the Great Commission is. You know these words well, but let's read them again together, Matthew 28, 16 and following. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But note that phrase. What did they do? They doubted. Mm, we'll get that in a second. And Jesus came in and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth was given to me. And 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 go therefore. And how many? How I'll have the word teach in your Bible. One couple hands go up. You have the King James. Am I correct on that? Okay, we'll hold that thought. We'll get there in a minute. Not saying it's wrong, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna parse that out. Go, therefore, and make... How many of y'all have the word make in verse 19? Just raise your hand high. Interesting. Okay. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. So every Christian is called to make disciples, but this is... How do we do this? Well, first off, I want you to see the posture of the disciples, the posture of the disciples. What you see here in verse 20, uh, chapter 28, verse 16, is that they doubted. They know they've been called to be fishers of men, that God, Christ is going to form them, that, 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 that they need to focus on others, but they come to this mountain and they start to doubt. That word there literally means to waver. It's for some of you when your favorite sports team is about ready to lose the game they should have won, you start to waver and doubt, don't you? But if you're a Missouri Tigers fan, we won that game last night. You can still be happy about that. But they barely. But they won it, brother. That's all that matters. The point of this is, is they were doubting. What were they doubting? I mean, how many times have they seen Jesus up to this point? John twenty says they saw him, and, and, and they saw him, and he cooked food for them. They saw him in the upper room. There were a couple that saw him at the tomb. They'd seen Jesus at multiple places at least three or four times. So surely they would not be doubting Jesus at this point, would they? Surely they have seen him as of the all the authority in heaven and on earth. So what are they doubting? I'm going to submit to you, they were doubting whether they could do it themselves. They were doubting whether they could make disciples of all nations as they were called to do. And if you're a Christian, if you're honest, and I'm being honest myself at times, I doubt whether sometimes we can be faithful in doing this task. Notice the key word there, I. Their posture was one of doubt. But if you're not on fire for Jesus, how can you expect others to be? And look, here's a little principle I think that's worthwhile, and it'll be up on the screen for you. You can't expect from others what others you're not doing yourself. These disciples, had they given up in their doubt, we would not be here probably in God's providence. They doubted whether they could carry on the mission. How crazy would it be? There's like 100 to 150 of them left out of the thousands that claim to follow Jesus. And he says, go to all the world and do what I did for you to other people and then do it again and do it again and do it again. We would doubt too. Their posture was one of doubt. Their posture was one of doubt. And look, if you're here today and you say, I'd like to make disciples, but you're not following what Jesus said, Just to be faithful to him and grow in him, you can't expect others to do what you're not doing yourself. As a parent, that's a really bullseye in my back at times. Are you reading your Bible, Daddy, at home, so your son and daughter would see them read? Grandparents, are you praying? Do they see that? Do they know that? Do they feel that love? As a church, are we making disciples? Their posture was one of doubt. And that's where it really hit them because their doubt stemmed in their self-confidence, but it wasn't about them. So he takes them to the next level. He takes them then to the providence of God. They're doubting, but notice what he says and these great words that we know in verse 18. All authority. All authority. That is the providence of God. He is going, number two, to the providence of God. They're doubting, but he takes them now to show them that, remember, I have all authority. And when I have all authority, whatever I call you to, whatever you're, 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 you're sent to, I will be enough for you. And that'll be on the screen for you. Number two, the providence of God. The providence of God. Their confidence. Their confidence before the Lord. In all their doubt, in all their difficulty, they were assured victory because Christ was with them and empowering them. That's why we don't give up. Galatians 6.9 says, don't give up because at the right time you will yield a fruitful righteousness that comes by your faithfulness. In summary, he tells them, I have all authority. He's emphasizing that because this task is so great to make disciples, they would doubt, but don't doubt because I'm with you. Even when you can't see the way forward, I'm there. Even when you don't know how it's going to work out, I'm there. Even when all things seem to be going under, I am there. I did just a quick survey of Mark, and I'm not going to have you go to these for sake of time, but Here are some things in the book of Mark that he emphasizes. Mark 1.13, Jesus has authority over the wild animals. He has authority over Mark 1.13, the angels. He has authority over teaching in Mark 1.22. He has authority over demons, Mark 1.34. Jesus has authority to forgive sins, Mark 2.10. He has authority over the Sabbath, Mark 2.28. He has authority over authority and to give authority. Our Lord has such authority that no matter what we are called to do, if we walk with him, we will be successful. But so often in our churches, we think the task is so great. Friends, it is. If you were here last week, you heard about a part of the world that I cannot name or mention that is so non-Christian. And there's about two for every several million. It's insurmountable. But what if we as a church, instead of focusing on Billy Gramifying and mass evangelizing everyone, we focused in for a couple years, and we grew up our church to get on fire for Jesus Christ, to teach, to grow, to be responsible and accountable to each other, to memorize scripture, to pray, to hold each other accountable for sharing the gospel. What would happen if that group grew from five to 10 to 100, am I doing my math right here, to 1,000? So on and so forth. Evangelism and discipleship are two cousins. But I want you to know the victory is assured. But he also finally, he gives us a plan of action. He gives us number three, a plan of action. There are two commands here that he says to carry this out. We're to follow him. He's gonna shape us. He's gonna form us. He's also told us to focus on others. He's told us, I understand your posture is gonna be doubting. But he says, I have all authority. There's all mentioned four times in those verses. We didn't go over all that. Make disciples of all nations, uh, all authority, etc. cetera. But now he says, what's the game plan, Jesus? I'm bought in, what do I do? First command he says, and one you know well, he says, I have all authority, therefore go and what? Make disciples, make disciples. Now, if you have a King James Version, I love you all. And I want you to know, I, please hear this. I grew up on the King James, and most of my Bible is memorized in King James. But I think in 1608, when they were translating this, I think they did a great disservice to many of you and many generations ahead because when it says go, therefore, it often says the word teach. Now, teaching is part of discipleship. We need to be teaching, we need to be sharing the word of God and doing what we're doing. But it's more than that, it's more than just teaching. How many people do you know have facts about Jesus because they've been taught but have never actually come to Jesus because they've never been discipled in a way that pointed them to a need for decision for Jesus? Do you see that difference? And notice what Jesus says here. He says, make disciples. He does not say make converts. He does not say make decisions. He does not say make Baptists who will become members and live their lives outside of the church and never step in the door again and call themselves Christian. He says, make disciples disciples. Notice what he also doesn't say. He doesn't say make Christians. Did you notice that there? The word Christian is used four times in the New Testament. Three times it's used almost as a cuss word. The one time it's used in Acts is used because they turned the world upside down. What does he call you to do? He calls you, me, and us to make disciples. But notice how he shifts this here. He doesn't say make disciples in mega churches or small churches. He doesn't qualify that he is saying that numerical growth is not the measure of success in a ministry. The depth of the ministry is the success. Do you get that? We grew up in a culture, and we're Americans. We love to count everything that moves within a church. We know how, much, we know how long to the second every sermon is. We know how every dime and every penny that can be counted in this church. We know how many visitors we've had. We know I'm looking at Nelson. We probably track other things that we geek out on in the behind the scenes. Oh, we got this this week, and there's a spreadsheet. Woo! And that's important to the degree it's important. But that's not what Jesus said is most important. Make disciples. And notice what he also says here. He says disciple making is success. If you have a church that never makes the billboards of the fastest growing churches, but you're making disciples who make disciples, in God's eyes, you are successful. Our church is not measured by the butts, the budget, or the building. It's measured by the D, the disciples. Are we making disciples? And finally, and I've said this the last several weeks, notice here he says that the starting line is baptism. It's not the finish line. That as you get baptized, you're to go and teach them, and we'll get that in a second, to observe all things. So, friends, I want you to know that. The plan of action, first off, is to make disciples. That's a weighty task. So what is the next promise? Well, he tells you number two. The second command is actually one you don't think is a command. The second command is actually behold. You may see that there. Your Bible may say lo at the end of verse 20. It may say behold. But the second imperative in the Greek text is behold. And what he's telling them here is that this is the source of your strength. I have all authority. Go and do this, and I'm with you always. Aren't you grateful that God never leaves you nor forsakes you? When people come and go and politicians say this thing, but they don't do this thing. When your friends say, I'll be with you, and everyone abandons you when things get tough. Or when you hit your, your life hits the fan. I, I know of a good brother in ministry who had a very tough time. He had all these people around him, but when he made a, a life-altering mistake, and he owns that mistake, and he's repented of that mistake, all the people who profess to be Christians around him, some big names, some small name said, it's too hot in here for me to handle. Image became more important than the person. Be careful. How do we know we're his disciples? Because we're obedient. We're going to teach them and command them to follow all that he said. So church, that's the game plan. And I'd submit to you, I think at Tower View, we're doing an okay job at this, but I think we can up the game. If you're visiting with us, I'm going to take about 10 minutes to go over our goals from last year, and you're really going to get to see the heartbeat of our church. We're going to to air our laundry for a minute. Is that okay? But I pray that you pray with us that these are things that happen. I want to review the goals from last year and apply what we've just learned to next year. Goal number one from last year is this is that we would continue to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Amy gets the fun job. She gets to click twice here. You're going to see two types of things. The first one you'll see is this. It's a green check mark. Praise God, we have grown. You have grown this year in Jesus Christ. We can look across this congregation pastorally and say, you've had challenges, we've had challenges, but behind the scenes, we pray for you and think about you. We can see you've grown. Praise God, amen? If nothing else happens successfully in this church, if that is happening, okay. Praise the Lord, and that doesn't go away. Number two, we said last year that we wanted to start several things, ambitious as we were, new bylaws. We had a mission, vision, mission statement. We preached on that in April, and that's got to be wrapped up. New documents and a five-year plan. This is what it looks like on paper. Do you see that little bar right there? Progress is being made, but it's not quite green checkmarked. Could you pray for us? There's a lot of behind-the-scenes reorganizing of things we want to present to you, but it takes time, and it takes prayer, and it takes a lot of patience. Third goal we had last year, and one that we think is targeted well, we asked and prayed that we would have three community outreaches for our, um, our area, and most of them were done in the latter half of the year. We hosted a mission team from Tulsa in July that came and literally knocked on every door in Gracemore and Maple Park from Randolph Road all the way to 48th Street, north to Brighton and Vivian, and south to Parvin. 1,500 homes, by God's grace. Where's the fruit of that? Great question. The gospel was shared, but there weren't a lot of disciples made. That's a question for future things. We've also had, in recent weeks, been in Annie aren't here, I want to thank them for their leadership. We had an outreach on 1031. It got cold. We had a great fellowship. We got to talk to people from the neighborhood. Thank the Lord for that. And next week, we will get out the Christmas family outreach that we off ask you to be a part of. We think we've checked that box, but there's still work to be done. Number four, last year's goal. And this is one that... Uh, do you think we met this goal? I told you last year we wanted to renovate the whole sanctuary and all the stuff. And let me tell you, we are a progress bar in this. But guess what? At our last business meeting, we approved our design team to go forward with plans to, to flesh that out. Thank you, design team, for being willing and able to talk about this. We love our carpet, but 1983 is screaming for it back, and we want to update and paint and do all these things. Amen? God can use it, but just like your house, we want to take care of the Lord's house. We have a lot of maintenance and things that just need to be done. Number five, number five, and Amy, if you will, we need to provide more areas for people to serve. This is a progress thing. This is something that we want to see more of. COVID, we kind of pulled back the reins because we couldn't do things the way we used to do. And with that, we got a lot more back on our plates that we're slowly, prayerfully dishing out. We will have a list in the coming weeks that says we have people. If you like to organize, if you like to do maintenance, great. But you know the greatest way you can serve your church? It's just simply by praying for the people. If you're on the Facebook group, and we need to do a better job printing this out for those who are not, we have daily listed three families or three groups of people you can pray for. There's a generic prayer underneath, but you can pray for them by name, by first and last name, the members of this church. You want a ministry that God will bless, prayer is there, but we also know there are other areas that we need to put out for you to serve. We're well aware of that. We did not meet that goal. Number six, We want to submit to you as well that as we move forward, we want you to know that we believe we've checked this box. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Andy and Richard. But we also know there are more deacons that need to serve and step up. Thank you, gentlemen, brothers, for stepping up, not just to meet a goal, but for serving the Lord first and foremost. May God raise up more men to to, to fulfill that role. Number seven, we talked about last year about having new classes and small groups, and we've done this not in the way we intended uh, Brother Ben started a new Sunday school class. We have grief share. We have other things that have started, but we re- feel like this is a group in progress. of you come from churches where small groups in the homes so is a big thing. We want to talk about that more, but we realize this is a work in progress. Some things had to take back seat to be front seat. We're kind of here, kind of there. Number eight, goal from last year. We also had a kid's ministry reboot. Where is where is she? Where are you, Bethany? Thank you. Hi, Bethany. Hello. Thank you, sister, for taking on amongst, and I have many, if you are part of, we don't often do this in our service, and I'm not trying to pick on you, you you can tell me you didn't want to do this later, but if you are part of the kids' ministry, whether you're a sub, a regular teacher, whatever, would you please stand up? Come on, come on. Stand up. Bethany, that means you too. Would you just thank them? You may be seated. My wife did not stand up. We'll have to take care of that later, right? I'm just kidding. Just kidding, but part of what we did is this last year, as Bethany was voted in in May to take on the kids ministry, and we know there's still a lot of progress made, but to do and things we want to check off. But praise the Lord, we have a new playground out there that get if you walk in here on any given day, it's being used nonstop, even by the big kids. Nelson, number nine, work in progress. We will ask for more fellowships. We've tried to do this every other month with potlucks and other things, men's ministries, women's ministries. I think if there's one Baptist thing we said we did well this last year, we ate and drank to the glory of God. Amen? And uh, if you were at the men's breakfast yesterday, I don't know about you, I talked to Brother Tim about this, and we agreed. We probably ate so much at 8 a.m., we really didn't need to eat until, I don't know, probably not for five more days, but that's, a, that's a, yeah, five o'clock. That's about right. But we want to encourage more fellowships as well. So what about 2024 as we land the plane, finish the sermon, all the stuff? Here it is. For those things that we did not finish for 2024, this will be on the next slide, we want to do those. We want to wrap them up, put a bow on them, and continue to grow. There are two other main things I want to focus on that we want to do, and I'll be quick as I can. Number one is church planting. There are numerous churches starting in this area, the Clay plat area. Pastor Nelson serves on the trustee board of the North American Mission Board, and he has an eye for these things. And we want to get you more involved. One of the ways you can serve is by helping other churches in practical ways. Do you know what a church plan is? I say that. Church plan is a new church It starts. They're fresh. They're new. We have, there are several across the area. We just, put, uh, we just welcomed six of them into our association at our meeting in October. We as a church, we are a smaller church but that doesn't mean we can't help other churches of our size or growing past our size. We are here because you know who planted us? Do you remember your history? Clay Como Baptist Church in 1960-ish said, we need a church at 7301 Northeast 50th. Sister Gloria, you were part of that as your family's, a legacy of that, and many others in this church. We are here because someone planted us. We want to be involved in that. But here's the main, main focus, and we'll get details about this in coming weeks. Starting small, we would like to form what are called D-groups or discipleship groups where we enact everything you just heard in the sermon. What does this look like? And, Amy, if you'll put up this next slide. I know you can't see it. I'll read it for you. If you can see it, praise the Lord you still have eyes. Amen? (laughs) We want everyone in our church to be part of some type of group, and I'll explain that in the next slide as we close. But discipleship groups are gender-specific, males and males, females and females three to five people who commit to three things, memorizing scripture, praying for each other, keeping each other accountable. One hour a week, not another Sunday school class, not another Bible study. Those are great. We want to keep those. But for those who are ready, for those who want to take that next step to not just be a consumer of information, but to disciple others who make disciples, this is where it's going to happen. You say, Darren, what about one-on-one discipleship? It's great, it works, but we find that three to six is a good thing. And you know what we're gonna ask every person of that group who's part of that D group to do? To be praying about who they can have as three to five. Do you see how that multiplies? You start with three to five, it becomes this, it becomes this, and it becomes this. And it's gonna take some commitment. This isn't just, oh, I forgot to memorize the verse last week. No, the, the line is, you're gonna be accountable to memorize that verse. Some of you all are ready for that. Some of you are doing that now. But we believe this is the next step in our discipleship process to start here because here's what we want everyone to be. If you're visiting with us, and I'll close with this. If you're visiting with us, this is what everything should look like. It's called the discipleship pathway. Again, you can't see it. We'll get this out more. You're coming in. You're part of the congregation. Thank you for being here. So glad you're here. This is the entry point into everything. We want you to start in that top left uh, uh, corner there where you see the yellow, the congregation. But the last, the next thing we want you to do is be part of the community. Join a small group. Join a Bible study, men's or women's or a Sunday school class. Join those things. But do you know what that next level is? It's those intentional groups, those D groups, where we see people come together, gender-specific, memorize Scripture, pray, read the Bible together, hold each other accountable. That replicates that. And you know what those people do? They take that to the next people, and that's the cycle. A lot of churches make discipleship, a menu and not a map. Oh, you like hunting? Here's a hunting group for you. Oh, you're into pizza and running? Well, there's your own group by yourself because no one else does that. (laughs) Discipleship is not a menu. It is a map. And that map starts when we are discipling one another through prayer, accountability, growing in Scripture, and all those things we've talked about today. Say, Darren, how many churches do this? More than you think. Brother Brian came from a church fog that did this very same process. This is not unknown. It's just new to us. Say, is this going to be extra time? It will be. But here's what I want to promise you again, that big idea. If we are faithful to biblical discipleship, I believe God will bring a great reformation here at this church and this neighborhood. Our neighborhood behind us is dying. It is dying. Spiritually, it's dying physically. Physically. We need a shot in the arm, and it's not just another big program. We may have to go internal to raise ourselves up so we can go external to raise others up. But I guarantee you if we do that faithfully, God will bless it because his, his word never returns void. Will you pray with me, please? of you members, I do want to just tell you our church is in a good spot. It's not because of the leaders we have. It's because of you, the people working together with us, and mostly a faithful God. We are in a good spot. We have warts. We have a lot of things that we could do better, and we are well aware of those things, and we try our best by God's grace to help direct that ship. But I pray that you rejoice with what God's doing here, and you pray for wisdom in all these things, and let's do that as we go before our Lord. Father, as we close out today, we are so thankful and grateful that you call us to follow you, that you form us, and you, you, you challenge us to, 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 to focus on others. Father. You also tell us, Lord, that recognizing our very doubt that we can't do this ourselves, and thank you, Lord, that, that you would strip away our self-confidence that just by programmatically or, 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 or strategizing everything out that we could overcome the doubts we have, we need your spirit. Thank you that your providence reminds us that you have all authority. There's nothing in this world that is apart from your hand. And, and Lord, you have, you're have you over it all. And so you call us to that plan of action to make disciples, not just converts, Lord, but people who will be raised up to raise up others to raise up others. Father, we admit we don't know all the nuts and bolts, and this may be modified as the weeks go on, but we desire to be a community here that loves you and loves people and, and loves our neighborhood and all the people that are therein. Thank you for Maple Park. Thank you for Grace Moore. Thank you for Holiday Hills and all the little communities that make up this area around us. From Claycomo to Randolph Corners to Pleasant Valley, just to three miles north. May this church partnering with others be a light to the nations. Thank you for our folks here, Lord. The dear saints that we love and that love us despite us, Lord. We, we love you. Father, together we band together to say this church and our lives are yours. Father, may it be so. We ask this today in Jesus' name and God's people say, amen.